Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. God bless you, family. Thank you for joining us this Sunday, or you might be joining us throughout the week. We are grateful every time you join us for worship and the Word. And I'm excited to continue our sermon series night and day. As you turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, I want to remind you that this sermon series has been focused on the seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. And so today we're going to be talking about his I am statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life. But prior to that, he has made Five other declarations. Just to recap, he has said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He declared that he was the door or the gate to safety. He declared himself the good shepherd who cares for us, his sheep, all those who know him in a saving relationship. Last week, we spoke about how he declared he was the resurrection and the life. Now, all of those are incredibly rich in meaning. I encourage you to go back and reread those passages, do some Bible study in them. You will not be disappointed. Very, very important, these I am statements. While Christ is declaring that he is the I am, the all-sufficient, self-sustaining God of the universe. In him is everything that we need. And we've been talking about that for several weeks. So today we're going to go to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Again, this declaration is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But... This is in context. I want to make sure we take this scripture in context. So John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, read like this. Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that's when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, before we go any further, I want to kind of, I want to give you a little context. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. This is the upper room conversation. They're breaking bread, they're, they're drinking the wine, and he's already washed their feet. Judas has already left to betray Jesus. He's already on his way to the authorities to turn Jesus in. This is just hours from his Gethsemane prayer time. In chapter 13, you see that it ends uh, with, with Peter saying, we'll follow you, I'll follow you wherever you go. In fact, Peter says, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. And that's when Jesus tells him right there at the end, he says, Peter, you will betray me three times. And that's the lead up to this encounter, this teaching moment that Jesus has with his disciples. But I want to share with you today in this passage, 
because you have very troubled disciples. You have the, they can sense something's going on. He's been talking about his death. He's telling them he's going to leave them. There's unrest. And Jesus sees that obviously they're, they're troubled and they're struggling with this. There's some anxiety and there's some fear. What I want to share with you today is I believe we see four pillars of peace that Jesus presents. There are four pillars to our peace and Jesus breaks them down. First pillar is a persuasion. The second pillar is a place. The third pillar is a person. And the fourth pillar is a path. These are four elements that if we're going to keep our peace, we need to recognize them. These are four ingredients of our peace. These are four pillars that hold up our peace. Here, Jesus is giving one of his last teaching, teachings while on earth. It's one of his last lessons. And he shares with them four pillars for their peace. The first one, the first pillar is persuasion. The persuasion. Now, what, what I'd like to share with you on this is that persuasion here means our belief. Look at verse one. Again, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Just look at that scripture on the screen. You believe in God, believe also in me. Have we been persuaded that we can trust God regardless of the circumstances. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You have to put your confidence in me. Where I'm going, you can't go. I'm not taking you with me now. You have to put your confidence in me. One way to avoid having a troubled heart is to make sure that when our boat gets shaken, when the times get uncertain, when we have a hard time sleeping at night, take a moment in prayer and reaffirm your belief, your trust in Jesus. Be persuaded. Are you persuaded? This is a question that I'm going to ask you as a pastor who has seen thousands of people, I've ministered thousands of people in my life, and one key aspect of someone's longevity in the faith, someone's excelling, the difference between excelling and failing in their walk with Christ simply comes down to this. Have we been persuaded that Jesus will come through the way that he has promised to come through? Paul wrote this in Romans chapter eight. You can look at it later. Verses 38 and 39, he wrote, for I am persuaded, I am convinced, I believe that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Paul expressed a deep conviction. He was persuaded. Friend, are you persuaded that you and Christ are a majority? Are you persuaded that no matter what your bank account looks like, he is the provider? Are you persuaded that no matter what the doctor says, it's not a doctor that numbers your days, but rather God in heaven that numbers your days? Are you, are you persuaded 
in your sincere pursuit of the will of God that no man or woman can thwart his plan for your life? Are you persuaded that he can enable you to forgive those who have deeply hurt and offended you? Are you persuaded that you can keep your vows no matter how tempted you might become? Are you persuaded that in Christ you are more than a conqueror? See, this is what it comes down to, friend. Your peace will come from your persuasion. Now, if you're persuaded to doubt, if you're persuaded to count upon the confidence of men or the abilities of men, then you will find yourself full of anxiety and full of, full of stress. When I, am, when I find myself in a sleepless night, one of the prayers that I pray most often is Hosanna. Hosanna means, Lord, save me. And when I'm laying there and I can't sleep, and I might be thinking about you and how you're doing and where you're going, and I might be thinking about my kids up in Washington, or I might be thinking about COVID or the elections coming up, and there's a little, there gets some unrest starts to kind of boil up underneath the surface, and I wake up. One of the first prayers I will pray is, Lord, save me, because I am persuaded that he'll save me. I have seen him do it. I have fought the fight long enough to know that there's a second wind coming that will help me keep my hands up in defense in the battle. I have been in this on this boat long enough to know no matter how big the wave is, God's grace is bigger than any threat. I am persuaded. So sometimes I might get my eye off the ball and I have to remind myself. I need to pull myself back and remind myself of who God is and my persuasion that Christ is bigger always is greater than the temptation to worry because I've seen him do it before and I'll see him do it again. Now, the reason I've seen him before, honestly, the reason I've seen him before is because I was persuaded then to hang in there and let him bring me through difficult times. I was persuaded. Maybe it was just the persuasion of a mustard seed, you know, just that, that much faith, but it was enough. It was enough to see me through when I was in junior high. It was enough to see me through when I was in college. It was enough to see me through when I had my first baby. And then I had more baby than money. You know what I'm talking about? Canaan cost way more than what I earned. It was, it was those moments, those seasons where I hung in there and he saw me through. So I'm convinced you need to be convinced too. Jesus is talking to his friends and he's imploring them. He sees, he doesn't just see the expression on their faith, on their faces, he sees the trouble in their hearts. And he said, you believe in God, believe in me. Believe in me. Be persuaded that I am who I've told you that I am. That's one pillar. The second pillar is the place. So first the persuasion and then the place. John 14, 2, Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a what? A place for you. Leave that up there for just a little bit. My father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I want to just remind you, friend, to build up your peace. Is that there is an eternity that awaits us. We're called to run this race, fight this fight. 
We're called to pour ourselves out as a drink offering. We're called to do good works, to be faithful. We're called to testify. We're called to be generous and to share. We're called to pray and intercede. We're called to be patient and to be kind. But this is not our home. Your reward is not here. My reward is in heaven. Jesus is looking into the eyes of men that he already knows in his omniscience that every single one of them will be martyred for him except for John. And John's going to grow old to write the book of Revelations. He's going to grow old to write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But he's the only one. He's going to be exiled and, and, and find himself alone on an island. The rest he knows, he knows, he knows they're going to die for him. And they're going to die torturous deaths. So he plants this seed of immortality. He plants this vision of a final destination and this isn't it. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Can I just tell you that here, in, not, not just in this nation, but in this, in this time in history, we, are, we fail to be inspired by heaven. We want our needs met now. We want that raise now. We want that extra bedroom now. We want that third car garage now. We want that, that, that uh, vacation to Disney World now. Our goals have been diminished by our context, by our culture, and by our society. We no longer dream about heaven. We dream about Disneyland and Disney World. We no longer dream about streets of gold. We dream about a new car or a new toy. Now, generations before us, we might be the second generation to take our eyes off of the eternal ball of heaven because up until 100 years ago or so, life has always been hard. People died young, they got sick young. You, you, you might have 10 kids, but only six survive. You had to work the ground and, and, and throughout all of history, there's always been a threat on the border of your nation. There might be a mob rule. There was disease and pestilence. There was ignorance of medicine. People didn't live very long. So for centuries, heaven was the goal. And now we've exchanged it, not intentionally, not on purpose, ignorantly. We've exchanged it for blessings on this earth. Can I tell you, your peace will never come from a raise or a promotion or a new toy. Our peace comes by being persuaded he is who he says he is. And our home is in heaven. Every trial we can face when we know we get to live with him forever. If we would keep our eyes on heaven, then we would live a more joyful, loving, generous life because we know we're just passing through and every encounter with someone is an opportunity to get them there. Every conflict we have with someone on this planet, we, we, we engage now knowing that we don't want to forfeit eternity for a quote unquote win here. Our eyes on eternity changes everything. Jesus didn't try to, to, to calm the fears of his disciples by promising them wine and, 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 and fresh meals and, and, and crops in abundance. 
he tried to calm their fears by pointing them toward their final destination. They needed to have something to hold on to while they were being tortured and crucified upside down and beheaded. It wasn't going to be the promise of a king or a prince or a general. It was the promise of heaven. The third pillar of your peace is the person of Jesus Christ. Look what he says here. He says, if I go, verse three, and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Do you trust the person of Jesus? Now, this is why, friend, religion just doesn't cut it. Religion is man's way of trying to coerce or manipulate God into doing something that might make them feel happy in the moment. We play religious games, like if I stop cussing, will you give me a promotion? Or if, uh, if I go to church all year, then will you bless me with a spouse? Or if I give when the offering bucket comes or give online, you know, for the next six months, will you let me have a child? We do all kinds of religious activities. If I do A, B, C, then will I earn heaven? And the truth is religion in its, in its, uh, in the religion that God has given us, there is good to be done. Scriptures are clear about that, but it was never meant to be the way. You can't put your trust in traditions, liturgies, activities. At the end of it all, friend, you're going to obey God if you trust him. Do you trust the person of Jesus? Because he said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you so that you will be with me also. I was thinking about this and I remember being a kid. I was probably a freshman in high school and I remember being done with basketball practice and I, I, I was, had done this before many times and I knew where to go sit and wait for my parents to come pick me up, probably about 5.30. Now, you know, this is like basketball season, it'd be like November-ish. So 5.30 starts to get dark, you know, and, and I remember everyone's kind of gotten picked up and I'm like freshman, so I'm like 13 or something and I'm sitting out there and it's getting darker and it's getting darker and it's getting darker but I didn't move. I knew they were gonna come get me. Like I knew they weren't just gonna leave me out there all night and I knew not to go somewhere else because then they wouldn't know this is before cell phones. This is before your six-year-old had a cell phone, right? Um, I'm sitting there, but I knew to wait and I never doubted they'd come for me because I knew my parents. They never just left me before. They kept their promises. They were people I could count on in my life. I could rely on them. I knew them. They, weren't, they didn't just serve a role, but I had a relationship with them. They didn't get, have a, simply a job. We were in a relationship. I, we knew each other. So I didn't move, and sure enough, they came, and they apologized. They'd gotten stuck, and, and, and they apologized. But I never doubted they were coming for me because I knew them. Do you trust the nature of Jesus? Because Jesus, if he is the I am that he says he is, he will never 
run short on his promises. He will never lack for what he says he will give us. He never gets distracted. If he is the I am that he says he is, then he will never get distracted and forget you. He will never be late. You might think he's late, but the I am can't be late. I mean, by nature, he's perfect. He can't be late. You might want him there at a certain time, but he ain't going to be early because that's wrong. And he's not going to be late because that's wrong. He's always on time. Do you trust the person of Jesus Christ? Again, format, liturgy, um, the, 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 the different practices, the forms, church membership. None of that inherently transforms. It's when we believe in the person of Jesus, the person. He, think of the best person you know. Think of the one that seems to always have the right things to say and never lets you down. They always seem to be kind and magnify that by a billion and, and, and then square that. I don't know what that means in math. That's something in math. He is truly perfect. He is truly beautiful in his person. He can't lie. That's who Jesus is. And so we get to face the challenges. The unknowns, the disciples didn't know what was going on. Jesus knew what was going to beset them. They didn't. But we can face the unknown because we're persuaded because we are convinced because we have a place we know we truly belong because he's perfect the person of Jesus Christ is who we count on his person is perfect and the last one I'll share with you is the path John 14, 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we're gonna, we're gonna keep that there just for a minute. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the path. He is the way. When Jesus says there, I am the way, the pronoun is an emphatic pronoun, meaning I am and only I am the way. There's no alternative to your salvation, eternal or otherwise. There's no other ground to build on. There is no other way. This, this idea of the way was a form of identifying or a label, a term used to identify the first Christians. They were called people of the way. When Saul was, before Saul became Paul, before he got saved and surrendered his life to Christ, he was looking and hunting for those that were a part of the way. They were committed to the person and the path, the teachings 
of Christ. And he was looking to kill him. And he, he, he did. The way. Jesus provides the way. It is only through his work, his example, his teaching, and by his power that we are able to get to God. We have to be persuaded. We have to understand that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that forever, we have a place that we're inspired to pursue. That he can be trusted in his personhood. And that the very life of Christ provides us the avenue, the path, the way forward. There is no end around. There is no corners to cut. There's only one way to do this, and that's his way. We live in a plural, pluralistic society. If you were to ask people if faith is a matter of fact or personal preference, the overwhelming majority of Americans would say personal preference. But the truth is that either Jesus is who he said he was, or he's not. It's not my preference. It's not what I simply choose to believe. It's what's really real. Jesus provides the only way to the Father. It says it right there. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. There isn't a thousand ways to God. There is only one, and it's his way. And the beautiful thing is that he's shown us how to do this, how to love. He's given us teachings and instructions. He showed us how to live. He showed us how to sacrifice. He forgave those who betrayed him. He forgave those who killed him unjustly. He's the way, but he's also the way maker. He makes a way. He doesn't just show us the way. He leads us. Friend, the reality is, as you are growing in Christ, you are being challenged to think in ways you've never thought before, to respond in ways you've never responded before. You have a love for God, but for that love for God to actually translate into the way you talk and the decisions that you make and the way you prioritize your life, the way that you do marriage, the way that you do money, the way that you do parenting, the way you do recre uh, recreation, all that has to happen. And you, you'll be like, no one in my family has ever been honest all the time. No one in my family has, has always been faithful. No one in my family has been able to stop drinking. I want to tell you, he's not just the way, he's the way maker. He will lead you into uncharted territory, friend. You're not the first one to break a family curse and God willing, you're not the last. You can do this through Christ who strengthens you. I'll end with this. When growing up, we lived in down in the Central Valley, but down near Bakersfield. And that area just past the Grapevine, if you're on this side, north of the Grapevine, is known for its fog. Uh, there, there can be pileups of cars, just dozens and dozens of cars in a single accident because the fog gets so thick. And so what my dad would do is we're trying to make our way to this little town called Shafter, little town, probably no one's ever been there, um, little town. 
um, is, and we would run into this fog, maybe coming back from visiting family in Los Angeles, coming down the hill, we'd see it, see the dense fog. And my father learned a trick. And it was to get behind a semi. Get behind a semi. He would, he would wait for a big semi to come and he'd get behind it because he could see the lights of the semi. He could stay close to the semi. He knew he could stop faster than a semi. And he knew that whatever that semi ran into wasn't going to touch him. And so he'd just tuck himself behind a semi to get us home when he couldn't see. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He allays the fears of his disciples. He says, believe in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Trust I'm coming back for you. Trust I'm coming back for you. And I'm going to show you the way. Hide behind me. I'm going to not just show you how to do it. I'm going to lead you there. He doesn't send us on a mission. He leads us on a mission. And in him is truth. On this path is truth and life. St. Augustine actually presents this declaration as vera via vitae, which means Jesus is the true way of life. If we can stay true to him and follow him as he leads us, his truth, because he never lies, his truth will preserve us and we will live. Friend, four pillars to your peace. Four pillars to your peace. Be persuaded today and don't flinch. Don't flinch. Keep your eyes a little higher than your situation. Something that's higher than your mountain is heaven. No, we don't live here forever. Our blessed hope is eternity with him. Be convinced of who the person of Jesus is, is one you can trust. And stay on the path, because in that path is truth in life. I love you, family. Let him preserve your peace this week. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.